Welcome to Secrets True Crime, the Eric Cates and Gypsy story. I am your host, Amber Sitton. What is done in darkness will eventually come to light. That is the purpose of this podcast, to shine light on the story of Eric Cates, his beloved dog Gypsy, and the town of Empire, Alabama. Listener discretion is advised. The subject matter may involve violence, sexual content, murder, and adult themes. It is not suitable for younger listeners. This is episode four of a serial podcast, and they are designed to be listened to in order. Many tips and theories of who murdered Eric and Gypsy came to light on the afternoon that their bodies were found behind the Empire School. Another one of those theories involved a man named Julius Goodman, or Roe, as many call him. Roe lives in Empire in an area called The Camp, just one mile from the old Empire School, and he told me this is where the Black community lives in Empire. Wayne got a phone call, and I honestly don't remember who it was from, telling him that Roe was behind Eric's murder. And in fact, Wayne was still on the phone at the time that Tanya Malden's phone rang. She answered it, and she walks over to me and says, Toby, this is Roe, and he wants to talk to you. And so I go out on the porch I can hear Wayne talking, and I know that he has, um, he asked the person that he was talking to, how do you know Roe did this? And so I think that whoever he's talking to is telling him that Roe was behind it. So I take the phone call, and I go outside because there's a lot of people, you know, inside the house, and um, Tanya follows me out, and Chris comes out not long after I start the conversation. Roe is um, very upset. He is telling me, he's getting people to tell him that they're blaming him for Eric's murder and that he assures me that he had nothing to do with Eric's murder and he would help me any way he could. What little I knew of Roe at the time, I knew that pretty much anything that happens in Empire, Roe would know about it. And Eric, I knew, liked Roe. He had bought a mobile home from him. And I didn't know of any reason at that point why Roe would kill Eric and Gypsy. And so uh, he kept on saying he had nothing to do with it. He was crying. I could tell by the way he was talking that he was crying. And my conversation with him went, well, you know, Roe, I know that anything that happens in Empire, you should know. I also know that if someone burned a body in your backyard, that should be a message to you, too. I said, what is going on that they would try to be blaming it on you? And pretty much left the conversation that if he heard anything, that he would get back with me. He was very adamant that he did not have anything to do with Eric's murder, and he wanted me and Wayne to know about it, that he didn't know why people in Empire was trying to blame him. That was my first talk with 
row about this. How did you feel after you spoke with him? Did you feel like he was being honest or did you just not know? I really felt like Roe was being honest. You could almost hear the fear in his voice. I think, number one, he was upset about Eric and Gypsy's death. And then also the fear of someone trying to blame him and the repercussions that he knew would happen if people believed what was being told. Michael and I wanted to speak to Roe. I called him on a Saturday afternoon and he told me we were welcome to come by. When we arrived, Roe met us outside and gave us a warm, but maybe a somewhat apprehensive greeting. We didn't record our conversation that day, but as we spoke with Roe, I knew I wanted to. There was much more to Roe's story than I anticipated. At the end of our meeting that day, I offered Roe the chance to tell his story to all of you, and he agreed. How did you first meet Eric? Met him through a mutual friend. He had a um, mobile home for sale. I was interested in it, so he told me that we would have to go through his dad because his dad actually had contacted me and told me that we was going to have to go through him because he said that um, all of his son's business dealings don't usually go as planned. So he would have to have all of the money up front before I moved the mobile home and that he would allow me to pay him in payments, which he wrote me receipts for all of them, but I wouldn't be able to move it until it was all paid in full. That's how I first came encountered with um, Eric. When I actually went to move the trailer, he didn't have the title to it. So we had to go to the bank and we rolled up there together. We made a stop at a foreign place and got some food. He talked about his mom a lot and his family. Everybody in the bank knew him. You know, that day I spent some time with him and we also went to the mutual friend's house before we left for a second. He had to stop up there. His best friend was somebody that I knew, that I thought was his best friend, because I'd never seen him unless I seen the other one. He was kind of in the neighborhood, so he did a lot of work. He was always saying passing through. He always honk his horn, blow, way decent guy. I asked Roe if he saw Eric that Friday, the day before Eric and Gypsy were found murdered. He was with Daniel that day every time that I seen him go down toward that school. Every time I ever seen him, he was either with Daniel or um, Daniel's wife. I spoke with the man Roe is referring to as Eric's best friend, Daniel. He told me he wasn't with Eric on that Friday, but he said that he saw Eric shoveling gravel in the camp that day. I asked Roe about that. The camp isn't a big place. If Eric had been there working that day, it's unlikely that Roe wouldn't have known about it. I don't know if it was that day. I know that he um, put gravel in a hole up the road by the church, by my mom in the mailbox. I seen them putting gravel across the at my brother's mail driveway. So I don't know if it was exactly that day because it's been so long. I really don't think it was, but it could have been. Roe's name has been brought up to us several times as a person potentially involved in Eric's death. The stories vary, but most all of them involve either Eric owing Roe money 
or taking Roe's money and property. I asked Roe about these stories, and I asked him if he or anyone else in the camp had a problem with Eric. He was fine up here. I mean, he was up here doing work at the cannons of his hallway. He was, I mean, I don't think I had the trailer, what, two, three weeks? So I had just stopped owing them. Roe adamantly denies that Eric owed him money, and he said Eric never stole from him. My home had just burnt down previously, so we was looking for somewhere big enough to, you know, for my family to stay. We was at a mobile home place, and my brother called, and he said that somebody called and said that they found Eric truck burnt by the school. Then he called back and said that they said he was in it. And I remember telling my brother, I said, whoever did that must not know who he is, that it's going to be hell to pay for somebody. And the evening went on a couple hours, and he called me back. And he was like, the um, detectives up here, they say they want to talk to you, that somebody put your name in it. And I told him to put them on the phone. And I told them what I was doing, and I told them that I was finna get my family, we was finna get in the car, and we was on our way up here. And by the time we got here, they was gone. So I called them back, and they told me to come to the station, and I went right to the station. Basically, they asked me if I knew him, how, and something. I believe they asked me about him owing me some money or something. I showed them the um, paperwork of me owing him and paying him, and um. That was actually the second time that I brought it. But um, I asked them then because I was already getting calls of people saying that there was threats being made and my name being in and stuff. And I asked them and I asked them to give me a lie detector test and whatever they had to do so they can get on the right path because I have no knowledge of anything that happened to a young man. I asked Roe who questioned him that afternoon at the Walker County Sheriff's Office. He told me it was Darren Bridges, Sheriff Underwood, and a third person he couldn't remember. I asked him if the third person could have been Chuck Tidwell. I believe that's exactly who it was. Roe told me he requested to be given a lie detector test numerous times, but they never did. And I asked on every occasion that they called me back in. And I also asked Mr. Gentry, I think his name is, and called me. He contacted me once. I also asked him to give me one, but I never, ever heard back from him either. How many times did they ask you to come in for questioning? I want to say three. They sit outside my house. They was kind of everywhere that I went. If I went to... Dog food for the dog. I would see them if I, it was kind of like I was really being looked at. I felt like they were. How long did they sit outside your house and follow you places? It was months. I'm not sure that it ever really stopped. As Toby and Roe have both described to you, the rumors of Roe's involvement in Eric's death began the day Eric and Gypsy were found and so did the threats against Roe. Unfortunately, someone actually followed through with these threats. One of Roe's brothers lived in the camp too, and he lived across the road from Roe. 
Someone drove by and shot up Rose Brothers' home. He can't remember exactly when it happened, but Toby seems pretty certain that it happened within a day or two of Eric and Gypsy being found. It was soon after uh, Eric Cates was uh, found by the school. Two weeks at the most, probably less than that. I wasn't here. I was with my mom. There was a lot going on. I just needed a break, really. And as um, soon as we got where we was going, my phone rang. And they told me that they had shot up my brother's house. And I called my fiance and I told her to get out the house. Basically, I let my mom know and she almost lost it. And we came on back home. When I got home, my brother, he was there, my oldest brother. And my brother, other brother had told me that he was on the couch and had just got up and got drink and when they started shooting one of the bullets actually went in the couch because like I said they only shot in rooms that the lights was on it and um he was scared they scared him that's where he was staying at the time and he left that night and he didn't come back where were your fiance and your children the lights just happened to be off she happened to have just got in and was sitting in her car and noticed the car going up and down the road, slowing down by the house. Toby described Eric's dad, Wayne, receiving a phone call from Eric's friend, Daniel. The next day on Sunday, I believe it was Sunday, Wayne got a phone call and he was told that someone had shot up Rose's house. And um, it upset Wayne because after we talked, Wayne didn't think Roe had anything to do with it. And the next time I talked about the house being shot up is when we went, Wayne and I had to go in, I believe it was on Monday, and give DNA. And the fire marshal Mr. Freeman, Deputy Bell, and Chuck Tidwell were there when we were going to give the DNA sample. And before we got seated, Mark Bell, who was already seated at the time, wanted to know if I was the one who had shot up Rose's house. How did you respond to that? I told him that's not the way I played the game that ammunition was too expensive to waste like that. Did they question you any further about it? No. They did ask Wayne at the time if he had anything to do with it. And Wayne told them that he did not. He did not know anything about it at, you know, before it happened. It was only after it happened that he was informed about it. When was the last time you spoke to one of the investigators about any of this? It's been a long time. The last memory I have of all that going on is when my brother's house got shot up. And they was all at the store. And my brother asked them had they had any leads or whatever. And Mr. Tidwell 
told him that his house got shot up because I got into it with some guys in Birmingham. And I went up there and he wasn't there. And I ended up calling him and we had a couple words backwards and forth because everything he was doing was just basically saying stuff that I felt was slandering our name and none of it was true. And I felt like they had the tools to find out the truth, but they wasn't using them or trying to. He was putting us in jeopardy when it was kind of all on them. And I told them that they need to do their job. And he got upset and said that they was doing their job. And I told him, no, you're not. For one, I done asked you for a lot of tests three, four times. You haven't done it. For two, I done told you that we've been getting threats. You told us that ain't nobody around here got that kind of money. But my brother Houston got shot up and they would have shot up mine if I would have been at home. Because they only shot in rooms that lights was on there. They rode this road for 20 minutes waiting on the light to come on in this house. Our families was in these houses. You've been up here since this incident happened. Five cars on one end, five on the other. But you miss this car driving for 20 minutes and you leave at the exact time that they shoot up the house? But it's still on me? No. I don't have a problem with nobody and I don't cause a problem with anybody. I treat people I want to be treated and I never did anybody wrong. It's not in my family history, it's just false. And I felt like they weren't doing their job, and I told them. It's not who you want it to be. It's who it is. And when you see that the path you're going up is wrong, you need to fix it. And that's how I felt about it. Did the Walker County Sheriff's Office investigate who was responsible for the drive-by shooting? They say they did, but I don't believe so. I don't think that hard to find out. And I know it wasn't nobody from Birmingham like Chuck Till said. And now a word from our sponsor. While true crime is my passion, sometimes I need to decompress from the stress of my day. That's how I found my favorite game. Best Fiends is a unique and exciting puzzle experience unlike other puzzle games out there. While Best Fiends has challenging puzzles, it's a casual game anyone can play, but it's made for adults. Best Fiends updates the game monthly with new levels and events so it never gets old. I've been playing for five years now. I'm on level 672 and have collected 28 of the cutest characters you've ever seen that I strategically use to help solve puzzles. And the best part? You don't need internet to play. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. Okay, back to the episode. When we went to speak with Roe that first day, we didn't know a lot of the details surrounding his part of the story. And we had no idea just how deeply Eric and Gypsy's murders had impacted his life. And not just his life, but the lives of his entire family. Roe was emotional that first day as he told us his piece of the story. 
And I feel like if that night never happened, my brother would still be here because he would have been home. He ended up getting killed probably a week or two later, away from home. Roe told us his brother was murdered just weeks after Eric. And while he doesn't think his brother's death is directly connected to Eric's, he fully believes his brother only left his home because he was scared after his home was shot up. If the drive-by shooting had never happened, he believes his brother would be alive and well today. I have a burden on my heart, knowing that I was falsely put in something that they could have, from the beginning, proved that it was false and gave that family closure and gave them a chance to go after the people that they should be going after. And them leaving me in it when my family became a target. That's how I feel about it. It was Rose brother's birthday on that day we visited his home. We could see the pain in his eyes as he spoke of his brother and the events that occurred after Eric and Gypsy's murder. As Toby described earlier, she spoke to Roe that very night. I don't remember if I called her or she called me. I might have called her. I know at one point, Miss, the lady at the store might have gave it to me, gave me her number and said she wanted me to call her. So it's possible I called her. Yes, ma'am. The first time I talked to Miss Toby, she wanted to talk to me. This is how I felt the whole time. I didn't have any problem talking to her, the police, or anybody else because I didn't have anything to do with it. And that wasn't going to change. So... I wanted them to be able to do whatever it was that they needed to do to get to the bottom of what they were trying to figure out. So if it was me going down there, talking to them, taking a lie detector test, whatever, I figured the easy route would be to point at me once that I was in the midst of the conversation of being involved. That's always an easy target. Point at the black community, which is fine. But we ain't gonna do with this. If you look at the history of everything that go on around here, we don't have nothing to do with it. It's easy to point the finger. I have lost too much involving something that I had nothing to do with. And it's unfair. I refuse to lose anything else between this. I mean, I grew up here. I've been here my whole life. I thought I wanted to raise my kids here, but this done changed everything. To me, it's always been kind of, should have been an easy case. And like I told them from the beginning, if people come to a murder scene in a group and everybody got the same story and you see that that story is a lie, you got to ask yourself, why did everybody show up here with the same lie? Because from my understanding, Everybody that was there that pointed them this way was at the barbecue that he was supposed to have been at that night, where the real altercation happened at. Where was the barbecue that night? They say past this store. I don't know. It's between Sips and Empire. I want to say they say it was Empire, but like I said before, Empire is obviously way bigger than I ever thought it was. It was some kind of party of some sort. And like I said, if you with somebody all day and you driving past this house, 
and going down there toward the school. Who you was with that day know exactly where you was going, what you was doing, and who you was involved with that way. If you're with somebody every time you're around here, that person knows what happened to you. And you can lie about it all you want to, but your lie not going to stick. Roe and I spoke about specific names that have come up. There are a bunch of names. Some of these names you are going to hear in future episodes. All of them. From what I understand, it was all there. And from what I understand, those are the same people that showed up down there before they got him out and put my name in it. And I will always believe whoever put my name in it got something to do with it. It's no reason for you to show up at a murder scene, homicide scene, whatever kind of scene it is, and volunteer false information. There's no reason for it. Well, I'll say this also. In a place like this, everything gets out eventually. And if it doesn't, that means it was only one or two people, or it was a family. Because has that reward was and people actually knowing him and knowing he wasn't a bad guy somebody would have told the truth got to be family if it happened around here it was definitely family because it happened in the same place i know not to go that way now a lot of them names i didn't hear on or know until after everything was said and done, then I started learning uh, this person and that person and this person. It's like they got their own section and it's theirs. Nobody, I mean, it's a dead end. Why wouldn't anybody go around there? At the time, I thought that they was just sorry, possibly didn't know what they was doing. But going through it and seeing other departments and all that they need and this, that, and all the. It's hard to put blame on them. I put blame on them for how they handled it. But I'm not going to say I don't think they didn't want to solve it or didn't try. I don't know enough to say that. But I think they went about it completely wrong. I think they tried to show a force against people who wasn't willing to help in the way they could. Because the majority of people right here are actually great people, you know, and nobody wants to see somebody life get to, especially for no reason. So I feel like they could have talked to people like humans, treat them like humans, and just kill them with kindness. Just do your job. We understand you got to do your job, but it's a way to do it. Roe mentioned a barbecue that was rumored to have been near Sipsy the night that Eric and Gypsy were found. It's not the first time this barbecue has been mentioned. As a matter of fact, tips came in about this too on the same day that Eric and Gypsy were found. I was at Wayne's home and Wayne got a phone call from a man telling him that there was some people out in the yard at the trailer park, that they had had a party, and that the people were cleaning up the house, and they had water hoses, and they were spraying off the porch. 
and even out in the yard. And it was a little eerie because this is pretty much the same conversation that we had had with the man that had called about the um, incident in Empire, about water hoses and cleaning off porches and cleaning off the yard, sweeping the yard. But this was at a trailer park in Sipsy, and that they refused to call the sheriff's department. They said that they called them and nothing was done and that they would get harassed. Deputies would never come when, when any of them in their call, pretty much, on certain people. He never mentioned any names. A little while later, a woman called, and she was telling us that at that time, more people had arrived, and they were taking things out of the house, putting them in a trunk. She never gave us a description of the vehicle. She wanted to know how much longer it would be before the cops got there. This went on for probably an hour. I called Chuck Tidwell and told him about it. And when the man called Wayne back, he was, you know, a little upset. He, you know, asked Wayne if anybody was coming, that um, somebody needed to get there in a, in a hurry. And then the woman called me back. So at the same time, Wayne was talking to the man. I was talking to the man's wife because she was saying that her husband had called Eric's dad about this. They were on opposite ends, or at, one of them was out in the yard. I really don't remember that part. One of them was out in the yard. One of them was inside the mobile home. So they were both calling us. And she said that her husband had talked to Eric's dad and told him about the cleaning up at this trailer. And she implied that it wasn't the first time that they had called and complained about this trailer, but that nothing was ever done. Several hours later, the man called back and told Wayne that he and his wife both had been there all day and that no law enforcement had come to that mobile home. Did you follow up with Chuck and ask him about going to the mobile home? Oh, yeah. Chuck just said that there was a barbecue there that night, that there had been a fight, but that uh, it had nothing to do with Eric. Did he say how he knew this since he didn't go there? I asked did he go and make a report? And he said no, that another officer had went to the mobile home. I didn't believe that because the neighbors had said that they had been there all day watching and nobody came. I tend to believe these people because, I mean, from what they were saying, they were right there. They could see anybody coming down the road and going into this it's not like it was way back off the woods. They could see everything that was happening. And they were pretty much saying that they really didn't have any faith in them coming anyway because they never came. Toby doesn't know who all lived in this mobile home, but she knows that the girlfriend of one of the people whose name that comes up over and over and over again in Eric and Gypsy's murder lived there and that this man was seen there with her numerous times. Why would an investigator not follow up on a lead about a barbecue, a violent fight, and the cleanup and possible disposal of evidence that all occurred the night before and the day that Eric and Gypsy were found? 
it seems even more curious when you compare it to how much scrutiny the investigators put Roe under, yet they weren't even willing to administer the lie detector test that Roe practically begged for. These lie detector tests were administered to many other persons of interest in the case. It appears that certain leads were completely disregarded, while others resulted in dark clouds of suspicion hanging over the heads of others, and no one ever made the effort to eliminate any of these leads. A seasoned investigator with the Walker County Sheriff's Office, Mike Cole, spoke on this topic to me, although the subject matter was not related to Eric's case. I'm paraphrasing a bit here, but he told me that an investigator's job is to work the leads and evidence and rule out suspects and theories until you are left with the one or ones responsible. If Roe was ever ruled out, he nor anyone else in the general public was told. Roe was a ready and cooperative subject. There is no excuse for not doing what was needed to rule him out so that the investigation could have focused on more promising suspects, especially when he and his family were facing very real threats. We want to offer a special thanks to Julius Rowe Goodman for being open and willing to tell us his story. It wasn't easy for him to do so, and he could have chosen the path that others with rumored involvement have taken, but he didn't. What did lead to Eric and Gypsy's murder? Was Eric set up? Did a woman, or possibly even multiple women, play a part in their deaths? Could Eric's good heart have been exploited and used to lure him to his death? Join us next time as we explore the other things going on in Eric's life. If you have any information that could help in solving the murders of Eric and Gypsy, please call the Walker County Sheriff's Office at 205-522-6112. You may also email me at secretstruecrime at gmail.com or call our confidential tip line at 205-282-0740. If you are left still wanting even more content, please check us out on Patreon. We have filled it up with great information about Susan and Evan and Eric and Gypsy. Our next Zoom call for Patreon is scheduled for December 10th. This podcast is an independent podcast. That means that everything that goes into making this podcast is done and funded by me. All of the investigative tools and resources are provided by Echo 7 Foxtrot. The tragedies we highlight and investigate have had a tremendous impact on the victim's loved ones and friends. We don't burden them with the additional expenses to cover their cases. We donate our time and talents because we want to help and hope to find the answers that they need that are so long overdue. For as little as $5 per month, you can receive exclusive access to members-only photos, videos, early access to episodes, and much, much more. By becoming a patron, you too are helping us to help these families. Your support as a patron of Secret True Crime Podcast helps us cover the expenses associated with producing a high-quality podcast, traveling to conduct field work and interviews, and obtaining the tools and equipment needed to conduct a thorough investigation. In short, your support as a patron allows us to do more for these families. 
Become a patron of Secrets True Crime Podcast today and let's solve these cases together. Patreon.com slash Secrets Crime. I'll also post the link on our Facebook page. If you are enjoying this podcast, be sure to follow or subscribe in your podcast player of choice and by giving us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcast. I'm active on social media and often share photos of Eric and Gypsy. Follow Secrets True Crime on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at Secrets Crime. The audio production for this podcast is by Kane Power at precisionpodcasting.com.